Welcome to season number one, episode number three of Splash Considerations, a San Francisco Giants podcast. My name is Justice De Los Santos, and we have a lot to cover. We've got games, we've got news, we've got updates, a whole bunch of stuff. We'll start by briefly recapping all of the games up to this point, hit on all of the news that you need to know, and finish with the conversation with friend of the program, Kerry Crowley of Bay Area News Group. Beginning with the games, and there are a lot of games to cover, so buckle in. On Saturday, February 22nd, the Giants fall to the Dodgers 10-4. Expect a lot of that this season. Despite the loss, albeit a meaningless loss, Giants fans did get a glimpse of the future as both Mauricio Dubon and Joey Bart homered in this one. Bart homered in his very first at-bat in the orange and black. Uh, Ryan Howard had a home run as well. It'll be interesting to see how his season goes after a relatively disappointing 2019. Derek Rodriguez got the start in this one. Only pitched two-thirds of an inning because of the Giants' defense that made three errors, but he was able to strike out both batters he faced. Matt Carasidi and Carlos Navas struck out the side in their one inning of work. Trey McNutt had a clean inning as well in relief and struck out one. On Sunday, February 23rd, the Giants get their first, albeit meaningless, win of the spring, defeating the A's 5-3. A lot of notable offensive performances to go around in this one. Joey Rickard, Brian Johnson, and Keen Wong all recorded two-hit games, while Abitel Abelino hit the Giants' only home run of the game. On Sunday, February 23rd, the Giants get their first albeit meaningless, win of the spring, defeating the A's 5-3. A lot of notable offensive performances in this one to go around. Joey Rickard, Brian Johnson, and Keen Wong all recorded two hit games, while Abital Avellino hit the Giants' only home run of the game. Andrew Suarez started and struck out the side over two scoreless innings, while Wandy Peralta, Sam Wolf, Luis Madero, and Sean Jelly all threw scoreless innings in relief. Moving on to Monday, the Giants outslugged the Diamondbacks 11-9 en route to their second win of spring training. Again, lots of notable stat lines to go around in this one. Ryan Howard, Sean Roby, Joey Bart, Jalen Davis, Andrew Robinson all had two at games. Roby, Davis, and Robinson in particular, as well as Evan Longoria, all recorded two RBI games. On the mound, lots of good and bad mix into this one, as you could expect with the nine runs given up. Focusing first on the good, Drew Smiley threw 1.2 innings of clean balls, striking out two and touching 94 miles per hour on the radar gun. Carmenez, Yarlin Garcia, Sam Selman, Danny Jimenez, and Trevor Oaks all threw scoreless innings, and Aaron Phillips had a clean two-thirds of an inning as well. Now for the bad. Jerry Blevins allowed a home run to the very first batter he faced, Sean Anderson gave up a home run and three earned runs in his inning of work. Nick Vincent fared worst of all as he allowed three home runs and four earned runs total in a third of an inning of work. Not the setback you want if you're trying to make the big league roster. On Tuesday, the Giants fall to the White Sox 4-3. The Giants entered the ninth inning up 3-2, but Trey McNutt blew the save and the Giants came home with the L. Mike Shremsky goes 2-2 two two and Alex Dickerson had a pair of RBI. Kevin Gausman threw two scoreless innings with a strikeout while Carlos Navas, Andrew Triggs, and Melvin Adon all threw scoreless innings in relief. On Wednesday, the Giants finished in a 3-3 tie with the Brewers, and the Giants saw a lot of solid performances on the mound in this one. Jeff Samarja threw two scoreless innings with a walk and a strikeout, while Trevor Gott, Anderson Franco, Trevor Cahill, Wandy Peralta, Sam Wolf, and Luis Madero all threw scoreless innings while Tyler Sire threw two-thirds of an inning, striking out both batters, he retired. Rafi Vizcaino was the only real black spot among the pitchers in this particular day, allowing two earned runs in one-third of an inning of work. 
Brandon Crawford finished 2-for-2 two two with a home run among the batters. On Thursday, we saw a little preview of a pair of pitchers who could potentially be the fifth starters for San Francisco, as Tyler Beatty and Logan Webb both threw two innings in the Giants' 5-4 win over the Mariners. Beatty started the game and struck out two over two scoreless innings, while Webb allowed an earned run in his two innings and struck out two as well. On Friday, we got our first split squad action of the spring. In the afternoon, the Giants defeated the Royals 3-1, and the story in this one was Derek Rodriguez and Andrew Suarez, a pair of guys who were also having a shot at that fifth spot in the rotation. Both of them had an excellent pair of outings. Rodriguez got the start and pitched two scoreless innings, allowing a hit, a walk, and striking out one. While Suarez came on in relief for Rodriguez and one-upped his teammate, throwing two perfect scoreless innings. Rodriguez and Suarez weren't the only ones who had solid outings on the mound, as Carlos Navas, Trevor Oaks, Sean Jelly, and Jake Jewell all recorded scoreless innings in relief. In the batter's box, Darren Ruff showed off some of the power that made him a force in Korea, going 2-for-2 two two with 3 RBI, a home run, and a walk. Expect Ruff to be in the mix for a spot on the bench, especially considering how well he can hit left-handed pitching. In the nightcap, the Giants defeated the Rockies 9-6, and again, it was another glimpse of the not-so-distant future, as Joey Bart and Elliot Ramos were both in the starting lineup. And both of San Francisco's top prospects came to play. Bart went 1-for-2 with the walk and two runs scored, while Ramos went 2-for-3 with three RBI and an electrifying two-run home run. Unfortunately, Ramos sustained an injury in this game while making a throw, something that we'll get to later in the show. Among the hitters, Brandon Belt also belted his first home run of the spring. Billy Hamilton went 2-for-3, and Sean Roby went 2-for-3 with three RBI as well. On the mound, Johnny Cueto made his spring debut, throwing two scoreless innings, allowing one hit, one walk, and striking out one. Tyler Rogers, Yarlin Garcia, Nick Vincent, and Matt Carasini all recorded scoreless innings in relief and struck out two. Andrew Triggs had a scoreless inning of his own. Rough outing for Sean Anderson, though, allowing four earned runs in two-thirds of an inning. On Saturday, the Giants fell to the Angels 10-3, rough day for a couple pitchers. To begin with the good, though, Drew Smiley looked especially sharp, throwing two scoreless innings and striking out two while only allowing one hit. Trevor Gott, Anderson Franco, Wandy Peralta, and Sam Wolf all threw scoreless innings in relief, although Wolf did walk three batters in his one inning of work. But for Connor Menez and Olibis Parra, it was a rough one. Menez allowed four earned runs in two-thirds of an inning, while Parra allowed four earned runs in one-third of an inning. Among the hitters, Wilmer Flores went two for three, and his replacement, Jalen Miller, went one for one with a home run and two RBI. And finally, on Sunday, the first of the month, the Giants fall to the Padres seven to five. Despite only scoring five runs, the Giants actually recorded 15 hits, so lots of notable stat lines to go around in this one. Brandon Crawford went two for two with a walk and three runs scored. Buster Posey went one for three with a home run and three RBI. Billy Hamilton went two for three, and Mauricio Dubon went two for three with a home run of his own. On the mound, Kevin Gausman pitched two perfect innings and struck out two batters. Among the relievers who recorded a scoreless inning were Sam Coonrod, Sam Selman, and Rico Garcia. Veteran Jerry Blevins and Trevor Cahill had a rough go of it, though. Blevins allowed two earned runs in one inning of work, while Cahill allowed two earned runs in two-thirds of an inning of work. That'll do it for the games that occurred over this past week. I won't be including Monday's game in this because there was already more than enough games to go around, but we will discuss Monday's game on next week's podcast. 
Now it's time for the news of the past week, beginning with a story that I didn't get to touch on the last podcast because it was published as I was recording. Uh, Andrew Bagley and Zach Buchanan of The Athletic released a story identifying Mason Saunders, the secret rodeo identity of Madison Bumgarner. Bumgarner revealed that he had participated as a team roper in rodeo events under the alias Mason Saunders, which was a combined version of both his first name as well as his wife's maiden name. I don't want to spoil too much of the story, and I highly recommend you read it because it is a fantastic piece of journalism by both Baggerly and Buchanan, but I will say one of the interesting notes in this story is that Bumgarner participated while he was still a free agent, and that information in conjunction with the bike accident back in 2017... I'll just say that it it made for some polarizing opinions, but I don't want to get too much into the weeds of this story because there are other news items to get to. Highly recommend you read the story. I will leave the link in the description of this podcast. On February 23rd, former beloved giant Gregor Blanco took to Instagram to officially announce his retirement. Several weeks ago, Blanco, as well as fellow former giant Nick Hunley, accepted a position as senior director of baseball operations and will serve as liaisons to clubs, players, and umpires, and will aid in administering on-field discipline. The White Shark was the ultimate Swiss Army knife. He could play left field, he could play center field, he could play right field, he could start, he could be a defensive replacement, he could be a pinch hitter, he could be a pinch runner, someone who was especially built for the modern, versatile-centric game. Over six seasons with the Giants, first from 2012 to 2016, along with his final season in 2018, he played in 717 regular season games as well as 37 postseason games. More than anything, however, there was the catch. And this is hit out into the alleyway. A long run for Blanco, and Blanco's going to dive, and he makes the catch! Just an unbelievable catch here in the seventh inning. Keith Law of The Athletic released his top 100 prospects ahead of the 2020 season, and four players in the Giants farm system made an appearance. Joey Bart was ranked 44th, Elliot Ramos was ranked 52nd, Marco Luciano was ranked 58th, and Hunter Bishop was ranked 87th. Now for a pair of updates on Tony Watson. First, the Giants restructured Tony Watson's contract this past week, but no need to jump out of your seats because the change is very minimal. Earlier in the offseason, Watson opted into the player option for the 2020 season, and under the original contract, he would receive $2.5 million guaranteed, with the chance to earn $7 million based on performance bonuses. Now, the contract has been restructured to remove one of the incentives and guarantee another $500,000, so all in all, the Giants just took out one of the incentives and Watson will make a guaranteed $3 million, opposed to just $2.5 million, and still has the potential to make upwards of $7 million. In some slightly more relevant news regarding Watson, he threw his first bullpen on Friday. He had a tight shoulder at the start of camp, but is all good now. Manager Gabe Kapler did not say when he would pitch in a game. Time for some riveting position-related news. The Giants are a team that value positional versatility, so it's worth mentioning some of the guys who ventured outside of their primary positions over the first couple of games of spring training. Yomer Sanchez, who won the 2019 American League Gold Glove at second base, started at shortstop in Tuesday's exhibition and mentioned that he could potentially play at third base as well if needed. In addition to Sanchez, Mauricio Dubon also spent some time in center field when he replaced Billy Hamilton in the fifth inning of Thursday's game against the Brewers. 
Dubon wasn't really challenged in center, but he did get the chance to show off his arm when he fired a throw from the infield on a double off the center field wall, although he did miss the cutoff man. Regarding Dubon's performance in center field, Kapler said, quote, nothing but good came out of today for Dubon in center field. Coming off an underwhelming season in which he struck out about 28% of the time, Stephen Duggar has made a change to his batting stance. The center fielder narrowed his feet and now holds his hands in a place that allows him to let pitches travel a little farther before he makes a decision. During the offseason, Duggar worked with private hitting instructor Crave Wallenbrock and now feels as if he has more quote-unquote freedom at the plate. Duggar has struggled at the plate this spring training, but on Monday against the Diamondbacks, he drew a pair of walks in both plate appearances and stole a base, looking the part of someone who could be the Giants' opening day center fielder. As alluded to earlier in the podcast, Elliot Ramos, San Francisco's first-round pick from the 2017 draft, sustained a quote-unquote mild left oblique strain while making a throw on Friday that could sideline him for at least two weeks. The Giants said he will be re-evaluated next weekend. The team told the San Francisco Chronicle that Ramos will be out at least two weeks as a precaution. This injury occurred in the same game he showed off his raw power, launching a tape measure home run that had Scottsdale Stadium buzzing. In some very encouraging news, Pablo Sandoval made his spring training debut on Friday as a designated hitter, recording an RBI single in his first at-bat of the new year. But more importantly, however, was that Sandoval said he's already playing catch at 105 feet at full effort every other day. This puts him well ahead of the original rehab timeline after he underwent Tommy John surgery on September 4th to reconstruct his right elbow. The original timetable was nine months, which means he would have been originally ready in early June. Sandoval said his arm feels, quote, 100% comfortable and hasn't had any setbacks during his rehab process. While Sandoval is trending in the right direction, manager Gabe Kapler said he doesn't envision a player on the opening day roster who can't play the field. Thursday's exhibition between the Giants and the Seattle Mariners carried more significance than just being another spring training game, for it was the first time brothers Hunter Bishop and Braden Bishop played together in the same game. Hunter was selected by the Giants with the 10th pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of Arizona State, while Braden was selected in the third round out of Washington. There are a couple excellent stories on the brothers, and I don't want to spoil them, so I will leave a link to their stories in the description. Friend of the program, Kerry Crowley, published a story on Friday about how prospect Tyler Sire learned his changeup grip from none other than Tim Lincecum. As the story goes, in either 2009 or 2010, Sire went to the Giants fan fest and stood in line for what he said felt like two hours to meet Lincecum. When Sire got to the front of the line, Instead of asking Linscombe for an autograph, he asked how Linscombe held his changeup. Sire did say that, in retrospect, he probably should have gotten an autograph as well, but the lesson learned from Linscombe would come to bear fruit as Sire uses the split-finger changeup grip that he learned from Linscombe. Like most things, I won't spoil the full story. I do want y'all to have the opportunity to read the story. Some fantastic reporting by Carrie, and I will leave a link in the description of this podcast for those of you who are interested in reading it. On a sad note, Johnny Antonelli, a member of the first San Francisco Giants team in 1958, passed away at the age of 89 in his hometown of Rochester, New York. Antonelli was a six-time All-Star and spent seven seasons with the New York and San Francisco Giants from 1954 to 1960. 
In the 1954 World Series, Antonelli struck out nine batters in a Game 2 complete game win and recorded a save in Game 4 to complete the sweep. In his seven years with the Giants, Antonelli had a record of 108-84 with a 3.13 ERA. May he rest in power. Now that we've wrapped up all the news, here is my conversation with Kerry Crowley of Bay Area News Group. Joining the show once again from Arizona is Kerry Crowley of Bay Area News Group. Kerry? Thank you for taking the time out of your packed schedule. <laughs> Always have time for you, Justice. I appreciate it. And uh, spring training has been fun so far. I'm excited to break it down with you. Speaking of fun, I got to start by asking if we're on the if, if we refer to the 2080 scale that the scouts traditionally use, I got to ask where do we rank the karaoke talents? <laughs> That's a that's a good question. I think you'd have to break it down for skill level because if we're talking about actual singing abilities, I'm probably a 40. But if we're talking about performance level, I'm at an 80. I am an elite performer out there. Whether I can actually sing, that's a, that's a whole other story. <laughs> gotcha. So I think a good place to start uh, regarding spring training is where we began last time, and that's with Gabe Kapler just reading some of the reporting it kind of feels like he's had a really solid start with the team. He's been very supportive of both of the Brandons. He brought in Bruce Bochy and Felipe Alou, so he's not completely detaching himself from that old guard. He also brought in Herm Edwards, so, you know, a little Arizona State shout-out there for you. And it feels like he's been saying all the right things. And now that you've had some time to be around him and be around the team, what are your initial impressions of how he's sort of running the show? Quite frankly, I've been impressed with what Gabe Kapler has done and and just kind of setting the tone for the Giants team this spring in general. Uh, He uses a lot of buzzwords, uh, competition, energy, uh, but once once you get past that and really understand the mission of what the Giants are trying to do with their 13-person coaching staff, with the roster they've got, it it seems like he's a good fit for this team and where they are. He, He was excellent at player development during his time in the Dodgers organization. And when you look at what the Giants need to do, it's bring players up from the minor leagues and help them thrive at the major league level. And I think that, uh, you know, he's gone out of his way to praise the Brandons and Buster Posey and Johnny Cueto. But ultimately, his his t- uh, tenure in San Francisco will be judged by the guys who come up and uh, perform at the major league level who are not on the team yet. And I think that he's established a good foundation this spring of preparing everyone. And sort of getting everybody to thrive, to sort of reach their maximum potential, there is, you know, a lot of different coaches, there's a lot of different moving parts in that regard. How is spring training for you in terms of the reporting compared to other seasons, just because it's not only Gabe Kapler's first season, but you also have this huge coaching staff? Yeah, I've really enjoyed getting to break down some of the mechanical adjustments and tweaks, the real inside baseball stuff. Uh, that players work on during spring training. And the new coaching staff is really harping on with different players. You know, you, you can tell that Donnie Ecker, the hitting coach, Justin Beely, Dustin Lind, also hitting coaches, think about the swing a little differently than uh, some of the hitting coaches the Giants have had in the past. And with the, the new data that's available from Edutronics and TrackMan and Rapsodo and all these uh, high-tech gadgets that, that, that every team in baseball has now, uh, you're really seeing pitching-influenced uh, quite a bit by the data, and so to to hear them, you know, for example, to hear them talk to Tyler Beatty and tell him, yeah, you have a great fastball, but the numbers say you should be throwing your curveball and changeup a lot more, and here's why. That's interesting to me, and I think there are going to be changes that we see play out over the course of the 2020 season. 
And, you know, you don't want to take too much out of a spring training game. But one of the things regarding Kapler specifically that not only caught my attention, but a lot of people's attention on Twitter was that clip from Friday's game against the Rockies where he had the headset on. I, did, I couldn't find a clip of what was the conversation that was happening prior to that. But he takes the headset off, makes some defensive adjustments, and then the Giants make the play. So it seems like, you know, it's not really like some major one universal thing but it's like all the small things that you have to do to really establish yourself as sort of the the caregiver of this new culture that he's trying to instill yeah exactly and i thought that what he did was a really smart move in in preparing himself for the situation because what is what is spring training for it's about simulating regular season opportunities and evaluating how you respond to different situations so for the first time, they've got the infield in. They've got runners at second and third. They've got a situation that they really want to pay detailed attention to and, and give their whole focus to. And so I also come from a background where I worked in live sports TV for five years, and I understand that uh, the interviews are uh, something that neither the coaches nor the broadcasters really want to do during games. And I don't know if that's true for John Miller and Gabe Kapler, but uh, I can tell you that uh, it is something that networks should probably do away with. And uh, I, I think that it's the right idea for spring training, a good setting. But at the end of the day, I think everyone benefited by uh, by getting to listen to John Miller call some interesting baseball action and by getting Gabe Kapler's attention on the field. Just a little sidebar. What was your opinion on the Cubs game today where they had Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant mic'd up? It works in spring training. If, if you've got the players and the personalities we're willing to take that on, absolutely do it. But it's not something that uh, that you should have during the regular season. And I know it's really cool uh, to get players mic'd up for those opportunities, but you're you're not going to see the same level of uh, of performance, I would say, if you saw that during the regular season. And really, during the regular season, you're not going to find players who would agree to it. I know that Trevor Bauer was talking about the ways that Major League Baseball can really make that the transition and try to find like that next level of uh, media. And I know that basketball does it. I know that football does it. So I know that it does, it works best in spring training, but I think it would be worthwhile for MLB to maybe experiment with that in some fashion, maybe during the all-star game and maybe not in the way where the announcers are actually talking to them, but if it's just like them just being mic'd up in the, the same sense as basketball. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm all in favor of a mic'd up situation where, you know, you can, you can produce something post game based on, you know, what Johnny Cueto was saying to himself on the mound and at various situations. I think that is awesome. And it is something that MLB should definitely do because these guys are so fun. They're so interesting, but having the live element to it is, is crossing a line, I think. And so uh, it's really cool during spring training, especially with Bryant and Rizzo, who are, who are great big personalities that uh, baseball needs to showcase more. But I, I think that if you had teams miking up players and then posting the, the videos afterward and once they're packaged to social media like, like you see NFL films do, that would be awesome and just a great way to really uh, spread some energy around the game. So transitioning to the guys on the field, you know, there's a, there's a legion of guys. You're seeing new names every day. But for you, who are the guys who are sort of trending upwards? And conversely, who are the guys that are kind of on that downwards trend? I don't know that you could say that anyone's on a downward trend or even really an upward trend this early in the spring. Uh, what, what I would say is that 
the new coaching staff and Gabe Kapper specifically really, really like Jalen Davis uh, on the position player side, and they really like Tyler Rogers in the bullpen. You know, both of these guys have minor league options, but just about everyone is rooting hard for Jalen Davis to make it to the point where uh, there's no question that he would be on the opening day roster, and there's no question that he would be productive enough to get 400, 500 bats this year. They really think that he could be a monster power hitter for the Giants team. And you look at Rodgers in the bullpen, uh, they really feel like his arm angle is so unique that you, you go through a game and you have all these pitchers coming in, 95, 96, same stuff, same fastball, same spin. And uh, Tyler Rodgers is so different that it just throws tempo off for an at-bat. And that's why he's so good in one-inning situations. You kind of alluded to a couple of guys in terms of roster spots. Uh, in my view, there's only a couple spots that are truly locked up on this team. You know, you got Posey at catcher, Longoria at third, Crawford at short, Belt at first. If you go in the rotation, you got Cueto, Samarja, Gausman, and Smiley. You mentioned Rodgers and maybe even like a, a, a Yarling Garcia in the bullpen, maybe Hunter Pence and Wilmer Flores in the bench, but it seems for the most part, everything else to varying degrees is up in the air. In your opinion, has there anyone just through this first week of spring training who is coming close to getting in that locked up territory at the more impacted positions on this team? That's a good question. And I don't know if if we could say that about Tyler Beatty, but he is someone I think that the staff looks at who has major league options and they would really like to see in that fifth starter spot. So uh, I would use him as an example and, uh, Austin Slater, too. I think Austin Slater's uh, job might be a little more secure than uh, than we think because of his positional versatility in the outfield and the fact that he crushes left-handed pitchers. So, uh, you know, he's healthy, he can play every day, and that's important for a team that doesn't have uh, a high on-base percentage guy against left-handers uh, in its uh, everyday rotation. So I, I think that those two guys have stood out to me as maybe being a little bit more secure than we uh, than we like to give them credit for. Gotcha. So moving on to another topic that's sort of emerged in the past week. Uh, in the first podcast, we talked about the possibility of Gausman and Smiley being flipped at the deadline for prospects. A name that we didn't discuss was Jeff Samarja. And uh, for the uninformed, uh, Luis Severino of the Yankees will miss uh, the season after undergoing Tommy John. And in addition, starter James Paxson will not be healthy for opening day. And because of these injuries, there's a very real possibility that the Yankees to the uh, the Samarja to the Yankees rumors grow louder and louder, especially if the state of the Yankees pitching is sort of suspect. But that being said, the Yankees aren't the only contender who can use an arm. As you said the last time that we talked, if you asked all 30 presidents of baseball operations if they've had enough pitching, none of them would say yes. So my question then, if... Samarja puts together a solid first half. Do you think that there could potentially be a sort of bidding war for his services? Yeah, I think so. And and I think that the Giants are in a position financially where they can actually pay down uh, the remaining money he'll be owed. So they'll still owe him about eight, nine million around the trade deadline. And I think the Giants are in a position where the acquiring team could theoretically, if they're tight on money or if they don't want to go over the luxury tax threshold, tell the Giants, hey, we'll give you better prospects if you pay down the rest of Jeff Samarja's contract. And I, I definitely envision a scenario where that happens because he's making $18 million, uh, this season and that you know he's in the final year of his deal. If they're not contending, 
Uh, Jeff Samarja is going to want to pitch for a contender. He's 34 years old. Uh, it would be August and September and then October, and I think that he could have real value for, for a contender. So it's definitely a possibility. And given what the Giants were able to get for Drew Pomeranz at last season's deadline, what do you think would be a realistic package for Samarja? Oh, it's, that's really hard to know because it's dictated so much by first-half performance and, and the analytics and, and whatnot. But I think that if the Giants are giving him up and they're paying down the deal, you want to get a top-ten prospect from another team. Uh, I think that that's just important. So you're probably not getting a, a top-100 prospect in the sport, but you probably are looking at the, uh, you know, say you go on MLB.com and look at the top prospect rankings, going 5 through 10 on those lists for various teams and picking out a name from that hat, and then uh, someone lower with high upside as well. So you're probably not talking about just one player. Uh, you're, you're probably talking about two if, if you're getting a starting pitcher who can be in your rotation, assuming Samarja pitches well uh, in the 2020 season. Just to finish up here, I don't want to take up too, too much of your time, but we've had a good amount of games here so far that we can really pick into. Uh, what are some things that you think would be worth looking out for as we really get underway in the month of March? I would say if the Giants can keep up their aggressive base running, because that's going to make it a, di- a difference uh, at Oracle Park and the large outfields of the National League West. You know, Chase Field uh, down in Arizona and the uh, Coors Field in Denver, you play nine games there at each of those places too. And so Petco Park, that's a huge outfield. And so I think if the Giants are being better at going first to third, at second to home, at uh, advancing on wild pitches, uh, you know, advancing on balls in the dirt, uh, they could theoretically add a, add a few more wins to that total this season just because they're going to play so many close games because of their pitching, I think. I think pitching is the strength of this team. And so if you run the bases well, it makes a huge difference and, and just – paying attention to the fundamentals and seeing if they can stay on top of that. And if some of the everyday guys like Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt can be more aggressive base runners this year than they've been in the past. That's what I'll have my eye on. And they do have that daily base running award too, which is, is that some, that, is that something that's new to Kapler specifically? Yeah, it is. It is. So they, they, they're giving out a base running award every day uh, for something that someone does in the game. And uh, it is new to uh, Gabe Kapler. He credits Anton Richardson and, uh, Alyssa Nacken for kind of spearheading that because they're the base running coaches on the staff. And so uh, that, that is new this year. Carrie, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on. Do you have anything that you want to plug that's coming out in the next couple of days, next couple of weeks? Uh, I would just say that the Bay Area News Group puts out a great opening, opening week of baseball season magazine, uh, the Playball magazine. And I believe it will be out in the middle of March. Um, on, in the Sunday paper, and then they also sell it to various places in the, in the Bay Area. And so when that does come out, I'll be tweeting about it nonstop. I'll be posting about it on Instagram nonstop. And so I'll be plugging it nonstop, too. I think it's the best thing we do. And, uh, I, yeah, I'd love for people to, to read some of the great stories that, that are in there and that uh, our, our big staff has worked so hard on. Thank you for coming on, Kerry. Awesome. Thanks so much, Justice. Thank you for listening to another episode of Splash Considerations. You can find Carrie on Twitter at KO underscore Crowley, as well as Giants Carrie on Instagram. You can find me at Just Delo Santos on Twitter as well. If you're a fan of the podcast, please give us a follow either on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Please leave a rating and review if you are so inclined to do so. Thank you once again for listening, and until next time, peace.